The sun is a fascinating thing. It exists suspended in space and is continually burning, emitting heat and light. All the more amazing is that there are planets like Earth orbiting from a safe distance, like a family gathered around a fireplace. The thing we don't talk about too often, however, is that eventually, like every other natural resource, the well will eventually dry up. Years from now, the sun will stop emitting that needed light, heat, and energy, and die. This is the central plot point of today's subject. A film in which a group of astronauts must journey to the sun and restart its dimming life against impossible odds. So if you're like me, and you enjoy film and the impact and emotions they convey, then grab a glass of your preferred liquid and join me for the next little while. For me, that's a warm mug of gingerbread chai from our friends at Octavia Tea. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the love of film. Welcome to Glazed Cinema. astronauts sent on a mission to save Earth and its inhabitants. Aboard a ship aptly named Icarus II. Now, if you caught that, yes, I did say Icarus II, but we'll talk about that more a little later. Their mission is to reach the sun and deliver a nuclear payload into the center of it to restart the dying star. The group consists of seven members, each specializing in different things. It's a group that consists of scientists that include an engineer, a biologist, a physicist, a doctor, a psychologist, and of course, the captain. We don't know much about the state of the Earth at this point, except for bits of dialogue. The most glaring hint is when the physicist, played by Cillian Murphy, states, quote, We've mined all of Earth's fizzle materials for this bomb. There's not going to be another payload. The one we carry is our last shot. Our last, best hope. End quote. From that statement, we can get a pretty good picture that Earth is in a desperate state of being. Now, just for some clarity, fizzle means a material capable of nuclear fission. Examples would be specific types of uranium and plutonium. Even more glaring is the fact that Earth has already built one of these payloads that wasn't delivered and are now on their second attempt. You can imagine that the state of the planet must be. Earth, if you will, is throwing a Hail Mary pass to try and survive. The most interesting thing about this film is its subject, at least in my opinion, the sun. Almost every space science fiction film, 
usually deals with things like space travel, alien beings, whether they're invading or we're invading, or exploration of planets. This is the first film that I can recall ever making its subject the sun itself, which is pretty interesting. Now obviously, like any other film, there are tangents, but at the heart of the film revolves around the sun. Pun very much intended. This is partly why Danny Boyle took on the project, because it was so different. That and he was familiar with the screenwriter, Alex Garland. The two had just got done making the fantastically intense 28 Days Later, so they had a working relationship to that point. To pause for a minute, the thing I love about Danny Boyle is that each film he makes is a completely different venture. He's a highly skilled and disciplined director that can go from genre to genre like a chameleon changing its colors. Sunshine was no exception to this, as Boyle would enter the realm of space science fiction for the first time. If you've never seen a film from Danny Boyle, I think you'd be safe to close your eyes and point, and you're almost guaranteed to be entertained. When my friends and I were dipping our toes into film more seriously, Boyle was among our favorites. The cast of Sunshine is equally as impressive as one can expect from an acclaimed director. After all, a great director is like a great athlete. They attract skilled assets who want to experience what it's like to work with them and succeed. A mysterious voice in a cornfield said it best once by stating, If you build it, they will come. And it rings true here. Among this cast of great performers are Chris Evans and Cillian Murphy. The film itself has two clear faces. Phase one is phenomenal filmmaking that deals with the astronauts and their travels to the surface of the sun. Phase two goes off on a different tangent that some feel is unnecessary, however, I don't mind it. You'll have to watch to decide how you feel about it yourself. Now in terms of the film, there are a lot of sequences that stick out in my mind, but I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the docking with their predecessor. The scene takes place after they link up with Icarus 1, the ship I alluded to in the beginning, which was Earth's initial attempt at restarting its nearest star. It's mentioned early on in the film that the circumstances around the failure of Icarus 1 were unknown. So while approaching the sun, they encounter the first vessel and decide to board. Why, you may ask? Well, it's a very logical and great question. It's less about curiosity and more necessity, as they calculate that the payload they carry may not be enough to complete their mission. In order to make sure that they do it right, they decide to take the first vessel's payload with them to ensure a successful outcome. This bit in the film is chock full of greatness. The scene takes place with the group getting ready to venture over to the linked ship. Since the two ships are able to meet and hook up, this means the astronauts can walk into the ship without going through space. The door opens and we see a lot of dust all over the place. The walls are coated in it to the point where it looks like gray fur. As they continue to explore the ship, crew members still on Icarus 2 watch the other members' camera feeds on their monitors. 
That bit reminds me a lot of the movie Aliens, if you've ever seen it. At one point, something falls down a hole leading into the ship itself. As it crashes and clanks against the ladder, we hear the echo of its descent like the ship is waking from its slumber. Each crew member explores a different section of the ship. When Searle, played by Cliff Curtis, wipes away a thick layer of dust, an image of the crew is revealed, which is accompanied by a haunting flash of footage of the crew alive and celebrating. Each explorer finds interesting things on the ship, ranging from running water, an intact flight system, and most interesting of all, a message from the commander of Icarus One, Pinbacher. I really love this sequence, as it creates a lot of different emotions. Overall, it's somewhat creepy, because of the mystery around the ship, and the darkness and dust. There are instances, however, of beauty, hope, and sadness that make for a really well-rounded sequence overall. I also really like the preamble leading up to it, like when the ships are docking together. Each ship has two massive payloads that are covered in shields that are shaped like satellite dishes. As the Icarus II docks to Icarus I, there's a great shot of the two circles intertwining and blocking out the sun. It's just overall a really good sequence, at least in my opinion. Another scene I love is one of my favorites and presented a major challenge for Boyle. At one point in the film, the ship's shields become damaged and it becomes necessary to fix the damaged units. To do so, they must traverse through space in shiny gold spacesuits that only have a small rectangular glass window and appear extremely heavy. All of this to protect them from the harsh environments so close to the sun. If this is not completed, the damaged units could cause irreparable damage to the ship given how close to the sun they are, and make completing their mission impossible. It becomes a job for two people to exit the craft and repair the panels, aligning them with the rest of the ship's exoskeleton. The captain, played by Hiroki Sonata, and the physicist, played by Cillian Murphy, are chosen to depart the crew and complete the dangerous task. They suit up in their heavy and shiny gold spacesuits and open the airlock, particles breaking away from the doors as they exit into the wonder of space. Protected by the shadow of the ship, they must complete their tasks. A fire breaks out in the ship, however, and Icarus takes control moving the vessel into normal position. This means the two have mere minutes to fix the damaged panels before the sun vaporizes them. Slowly, they inch themselves onward, panel by panel, in a high-stakes race to protect the ship and secure its mission. This scene is wonderful in so many ways, between the acting and the camera work and the special effects, but the scene is made complete by the music. While they race up to the finish during the nail-biting sequence, the song Adagio in D minor by John Murphy plays in the background. The drama amps up and each movement becomes ever heightened, scooching us to the edge of our seats. It's utterly fantastic and a must-see. 
I introduced this film to my wife during the start of this crazy pandemic, and she was floored by that sequence. She loves movie scores and listens to them in her spare time, and was very familiar with Adagio in D minor, but never knew the source material. When it began playing, she got really excited, and I was really thrilled to see her enjoy it as much as she did. It was a special moment that I'll always cherish. Now, I marvel at this entire sequence and movie for its CGI, its special effects, because they're really well done. And in doing a little more research, I've become increasingly impressed that they look as good as they do. The reason being is because the special effects took so long to do. In fact, the movie was delayed by a full year because of this, leading to Boyle stating that he would not make another space science fiction film ever again. Despite all this, the final product is absolutely fantastic, and you'd never know there was any problem in filming whatsoever. I love this film for a variety of reasons, but most of all because of the against-all-odds element. It's a true underdog tale, where despite a high likelihood of failure and peril around every corner, a group of individuals embark to try and accomplish the impossible. I also love how well-rounded of a film it is. Through the fantastic acting, camera work, and score, I experienced a variety of emotions from suspense, joy, awe, and fright. I highly recommend Sunshine for anyone looking for something a little different, particularly if you like science fiction. I can see a lot of different influences in this film. You get a bit from Ridley Scott, as I mentioned before, with Alien. You get some Solaris and I see Solaris mainly in the metaphysical nature of the film in some points, but also the hallways in which they're circular really reminds me of Tarkovsky's Solaris, which is one of my favorite science fiction, if not one of my favorite films of all time. You can also see a little bit of 2001. It's just a really, really good film. Unfortunately, when it was released, it didn't do well at the box office grossing only $32 million worldwide. This is a bit surprising, because when I watch the film, I love it. I love almost every single aspect of the entire film. And I can tell that just from reading some interviews with actors, specifically Chris Evans, that he feels the same way. He said in an interview once that nobody sees my good films like sunshine. So I do feel that this could use some love which is why I chose it for a topic of today's episode. By the time the film was finished, the project had been delayed twice for a total of two years and was $5 million over budget. Unfortunately, it was met with a lackluster release and was overlooked within Boyle's impressive catalog. Despite the box office response that I mentioned before, I really enjoy this film. It has tremendous quality from start to finish and does not show its warts during filming at all. The experience is smooth, and a truly great watch for any film or sci-fi enthusiast. If you'd like to watch Sunshine for yourself, you can find it on a variety of streaming networks. At the time of this recording, you can find Sunshine on Hulu. Hulu is a service with great value, and 
flexible pricing structures ranging from $4.99 for a single or $10.99 for family plans. Apart from Hulu, you can also find Sunshine on Prime Video, Vudu, Google Play, and Apple TV for $2.99 to rent if you subscribe to those services. This podcast was written and recorded by me, Brian Kinney, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you like this podcast, tell your friends and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Each week, there will be new content, including hints about episodes before they air. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit our website at glazedcinema.com. There, you'll find information about the show and a place to submit ideas for future episodes. For film fans who are hearing impaired, our blog page features each episode in written form as well. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope to see you next time with another beverage and another fine film on Glazed Cinema.